Broadcasting to New York City, Los Angeles, Chicago, Sydney, London, and around the world, this is Trumpet Radio Live. Thanks for joining us here on Trumpet Radio Live on 101.3 KPCG. Coming up on this Monday edition of Trumpet Radio Live, some headlines to take a look at, including a lot happening with Russia and China. They're in the news and uh, growing more powerful all of the time. And so at the end of today's program, we want to take a look at a great book that you need to get, Russia and China and Prophecy, give you a little bit uh, of that info, just a a little book review to whet your appetite. That and uh, more coming up on this edition of Trumpet Radio Live. is Trumpet Radio Live. Thanks for joining us here on Trumpet Radio Live at 101.3 KPCG. We're online at kpcg.fm, and we have a live link at thetrumpet.com as well. Thanks for being with us here on this Monday. Uh, I'm Dwight Falk. Grant Turgeon is here today. A little bit of a uh, frosty start this morning when we got going. Um, I have the benefit of a garage, which is nice, but if you don't, if you're, or if you leave a car outside, uh, this morning was a bad start to your Monday because it was all the cars were covered in ice. I, I should have known that at some point we were going to go from 75 degrees right back down to the 20s, and <laughs> I wasn't ready for that, so I had to wait in the car for a little bit. Yeah, and then uh, you scrape it off. So uh, hopefully everyone got going and had a good start to their uh, Monday. A lot to uh, take a look at today on today's program including uh, gas prices. People like to uh, travel around sometimes, especially uh, as it gets warmer outside. And it looks like gas prices are going to be on the rise. This is from uh, AAA. Spring gas prices could approach a tipping point for drivers. So they've come to this sort of price point where some people feel like they wouldn't drive as much. According to AAA, the average cost of a gallon of unleaded regular is about 25 cents more than this time last year. The national average price could reach as high as $2.70 per gallon this spring. So a new AAA survey asked consumers if there was a gas price point that would make them change their driving habits or lifestyle, and they said $2.75 is the tipping point for 20% of the drivers, and for 40% it was $3 a gallon. So, uh, of course, uh, I'm trying to think of what the highest gas was. Depends on where you live. We have a little cheaper gas here in Oklahoma. But a few years back when it was pretty high, it seems like we were up over three. We were in the mid-threes, it seems like. I know some bigger cities, California, they seem to be up around five. Mm. So, you know, especially, and then you see those guys pull up with those monster trucks. <laughs> and and you go there after them, and they spent, you know, $100 on oh, gas, which yeah. I think is the cutoff point for a lot of pumps. Like, I think they may have needed more, but, oh, wow. you know, so. Sometimes you can change your driving habits, sometimes you can't. Yeah, it's. Uh, I think the gas prices have been a little bit lower uh, here lately. I mean, right now it's up around like two nineteen or two twenty, which is actually about twenty cents more than it usually is, and I've noticed that pretty quickly. Uh, but it's, it is kind of hard to just one day decide I'm not going to drive to work anymore. I'm not going to drive to my son's baseball practice or whatever it might be. You can't just change everything because of the gas price. Right. Get a moped. 
Get yourself a little moped. <laughs> You're still driving, I guess. But. 100 miles to the gallon or whatever <laughs> those things get. They're always popular. Uh, well, you know, they a while back, they, they when they did that cash for clunkers thing, they were trying to get everybody into hybrids and, and these cheaper vehicles. But, you know, in a lot of cases, people for work, they need their bigger trucks or they just flat out like them. And that's that's the kind of the trend, right? Especially in the past administration, they were always trying to guilt us about, it. you know, oh, you think you can drive your big truck and have air conditioning. <laughs> well, why not? I mean, if you've earned it, why not? Exactly. <laughs> what, what do you want us to do, live in huts? I mean, if, if you are if you earned it and um, it's available and it's, you know, what's the problem with that? I, there, was, there was such a mentality of just guilting everybody into being blessed. But those blessings came from God, not that they should be abused, but, you know, uh, there was that real guilt complex they tried to lay on the whole country. They had a big misunderstanding of people's main motivations or what motivates people the most. It's not what's best for the environment, supposedly, or, you know, what is best for our electrical or gas output. It's just what is the most cost effective and what is the the way we want to drive, what feels the best uh you can't just force people to make choices that align with your with your worldview. No. I saw, actually, speaking of environment, yesterday uh, I went down to Dallas, and you were down there, too, for something. And when we were coming back, we passed a semi-truck, and it was uh, for a paint company. And they, have an, they had an advertisement on the trailer, which I thought was just a terrible advertisement. And it was the the paint company, and it was... There was this graphic of paint dripping down and covering the earth, and it said, like, cover the world in paint or something like that. <laughs> and I thought, well, well, that sounds like the most horrible thing ever. Yeah. I don't want to buy that paint and, like, have somebody dump it on my yard. <laughs> Just cover the world in paint. Like, I get what they're going for, you know, paint things and make it look nice, but... The idea of just dousing the entire world in their paint, <laughs> I thought that was a mis a misstep on the from the marketing department. There have been quite a few ads like that lately, where companies actually point out problems that their devices will cause, as if that is somehow an effective way of marketing the product. Like a phone that's so good that you don't notice anything around you, and you just like walk into things. Like that's not really something that's going to attract people to that phone it's like well maybe that's a reason to stay away from it there's a story today uh, where this lady was trying to sell her used car and it made the headlines because she was just completely honest in the in the <laughs> she's like this thing's a piece of junk and she's like i think she said the clutch doesn't work because i don't even press the gas and it goes <laughs> she said the head gaskets i'm pretty sure don't are blown so there's no window there's dents all over this thing, and, and uh, so a lot of people just responded and said, "Wow, I really appreciate your honesty. Like, I don't want that car, but thank you for being honest." <laughs> and uh, and then somehow she did sell it. So honesty is the best policy. She was just blunt and just told everybody everything that was wrong with it, and uh, it it garnered more attention than uh, those that try to make it seem better than it is. Saying that it's gently used or, right. <laughs> or has character to it. Those those types of uh, descriptors turn off a lot of people who usually have to make a long trip to someone's house to see the product and, right. then, and then realize that it is garbage. You, you had this, this old car. It's in, the, in your family. It's still around, isn't it? <laughs> My brother drives it now. I see that thing around. <laughs> it, it won't die. How oh, many miles? Terrible. How many miles on that thing? It's, I think it has... Um, 
about two hundred thousand or so. There you go. Yeah, it it looks like it looks a lot worse than that though. I mean, if you can mm-hmm. imagine any car that might have gone like five hundred thousand miles, which I don't think is possible, that's what this thing looks like because it it has gotten beaten up. Uh, it's been described as like two raccoons fighting on the inside that's how torn up the interior is <laughs> especially all over the roof uh the the roof of it so uh it just apparently the previous owners did not treat it very well mm-hmm. because we got it it should have been a lot more decent than it was but it's not thankfully that at least gave us a good price on it though there are cars like that that just don't die uh, <laughs> i had i had one and it wasn't that extreme my first car and it was you know, you know, you got. I got to learn very quickly the um, the telltale signs of needing to add fluids and, and things that you normally <laughs> won't do with a newer car. And but it it ran great. It got me where I needed to go, and ended up selling it when I moved on to something else. But I think everyone always has that sort of that fond memory of the first car or, or that one car that really wasn't great, but it's what you had, and and it got you around. And and then some of those cars just keep going and going, like you can't kill them. Yeah, you really do get your money's worth out of certain cars like that. This one's a a small Toyota Corolla. It's probably about almost 20 years old. Again, it looks like it's 50 years old because of how badly beaten (laughs) up it is. It's a Model T. (laughs) Yeah, but uh, it... Like the window on the driver's side doesn't go down all the way, or it doesn't go up all the way. So anytime it rains or snows, it the seat gets wet, and so you have to remember to bring a towel out with you to sit on top of that. Uh, that's one of many inconveniences to the car. The other thing is that the handles are made of cheap plastic, mm. and so they've broken literally more than ten times. Wow! And it's just then you try to you have to try to roll down the window to open it from the outside. But the driver's side window is stuck like three inches from the top, so you can't reach outside of that window to open the door either way. Yeah, that's the car you don't lock. Nobody's going to steal that thing. Exactly. Yeah. Everybody needs a car like that once in a while just to uh, just to enjoy it, especially a first one. So you, you wouldn't probably want to tote your family around in it, but when you're a young guy and you're just <laughs> needing to get down to wherever you're going, uh, those are sometimes it's good to have those kind of cars. And then whenever you park, you have to... Uh, stop and make sure no one's looking because you have to crawl outside the, the passenger door <laughs> the, the if the anytime the door handle's broken you can't open it from the outside either so you have to just barrel roll out to the other side it's like Deeks of hazard <laughs> their car yeah you couldn't open the doors you had to go into the windows i think it's humbling that's what <laughs> yeah. that's what you need to start out with to, to get a little bit of a sense of reality hey if you're just trying to you just want to get someplace and you can, you have a way to get there that's that's awesome i mean it's better than not you know needing to rely on somebody for a ride or something uh a lot of times when uh, people want to take a ride especially when they're younger or if you're on a road trip you the uh the bright sign of mcdonald's calls to you from the side of the road <laughs> come in here we have burgers for you or any other places but the uh there's sort of this uh you know health trend now people are trying to be a little healthier i guess at least want to talk about it and uh, some of these restaurants are trying to do it too but the facts have come out uh, McDonald's food has more calories, sugar, and salt than 30 years ago, despite chains' pledges to be healthier. A lot of people, myself included, harken back to years gone by <laughs> and think, you know, it doesn't seem like the fast food used to be as bad as it is now. And then, you know, you know I can always think like, well, maybe I just wasn't thinking about it right or I didn't correctly see it. But it does seem like years back in the mid 80s it wasn't quite as bad in the case of mcdonald's that's true uh there's this graphic here this this write-up is from uh 
uh, the sun, Big Mac and Lies, <laughs> as opposed to fries. And <laughs> they call it the sham burger. That's great. <laughs> they say changes since 1989. Get a load of this. Big Mac, the sugar in a Big Mac. You don't think of a Big Mac as having sugar, but it does. It's risen 221% since 1989. If you get a Big Mac today, compared to 1989, you're eating 221% more sugar. Oh, that's, wow, that's unbelievable. I guess um, it is It is pretty true. I mean, I wasn't around for too long to see the change in fast food, but uh, anytime it's depicted in like a movie back in those times, or or just even if you get any footage of uh, the way that it used to be produced, it did look a lot more wholesome. I don't know exactly from tasting it, but just from looking at it, it looked like they had a more legitimate way of assembling the food instead of probably some of the horrific things that happen now. Yeah, the I th- I think in some cases the ingredient ingredients were a little more real. That's what it looked it, like. It looks, yeah. I mean, if you just look at it from a distance, it looks fairly similar, but I think it's, you know, and where they're sourcing their buns and their meat and that from, I, you know, I don't know, but, but they made a lot of changes. Another change, you know, is just the sizes. The sizes are so much bigger now than they used to be. Uh, and it used to be that the combo meal, I don't think was a given. It was sort of like, you, yeah, you could get something else with your burger if you wanted, but now it's pretty much a given, and then you want to make it bigger, <laughs> right? So, I mean, it's just we actually yesterday, unfortunately, we um we were at this uh, mall and we stopped at a food court, and there's not a lot of good options, so we got one thing. We were sharing it, and a drink comes with it. It was a soda, right? So we say okay, and the size <laughs> of it, I was like needed a wheelbarrow to get it to the yeah. table. The si- I mean, the sizes are just outrageous. So. So we we split it. And I don't even think we finished it, but um, you know when that that's just common what people get. It's no wonder when you have increased sugar, increased sizes, people probably eating it more frequently. There's there's no no surprise that we have all these health problems. Well, we were just talking about cars, and most cars about half the drinks today would not fit in any of the cup holders. It's, I just wonder how long it's going to be before you have to start updating everything else to match the the trend in, in like fast food everything's gotten so much bigger like you're going through the drive-through for expedience but then where do you put that gigantic cup if you get the biggest size at some point it's going to be way bigger than all the cup holders you're gonna have to like hold it between your feet somehow we're going back to the flintstones time <laughs> yeah they put they go into the drive-through <laughs> and flip the car over if you remember that <laughs> those that have seen the flintstones uh, <laughs> cartoons yeah well that's a that's a great uh point i mean the people are bigger, and the seats are bigger, and the cup holders are bigger. Yeah. Everything's getting bigger. Bigger is not always better in this case. Uh, French fries at McDonald's, looking at 1989 to today, there's 42.8% more calories, 17.2% more fat, 24% more salt in the French fries today. Wow. Yeah. Uh, and I, obviously, McDonald's wasn't too happy about that documentary that came out about them about a decade ago, I think it was. People acted shocked, but really, um, it shouldn't be that surprising. Anytime a restaurant can give you a meal in about a minute's time, obviously, it's an assembly line way of putting it together. Uh, it, it couldn't have been as fresh as it's claimed. So so we have to realize that and not just be totally uh, shocked whenever things like this come out, I guess. Yeah, I guess the, thing, the, the, the way that it is a little bit surprising is you could you could have gone to McDonald's in 1989, and let's say you go to one today, and and you, you, would you know like would you know the difference in terms of 
yeah, it looks the same, has the same name, but is it, uh, you know, would you know that they've changed it so much? Maybe you'd tell by the taste, but, but you know, you wouldn't know these numbers. If somebody just asked me, do you think it's better or worse today? I'd say, oh, I think it's probably worse, but I wouldn't have guessed these numbers. Yeah. Uh, vanilla milkshake, 25.2% more calories, 31% more sugar, 23% more fat. But then again, there's two burgers here at the end, and th- this is just astounding to me. A cheeseburger from McDonald's, 248% more sugar than it had in um, 89. Quarter pounder with cheese, uh, 285% more sugar than it had in 1989. So I wonder where that sugar is going. Is it in the bun? I don't know. Like, where are they putting that? That's a good question. Uh, So do you think uh, one tasted better than the other from what you remember? Yeah, I mean, I think it tasted better back then, and I, I was a kid, so and we didn't do it all the time, so it was kind of a treat, and yeah. a special thing, and so you have kind of that memory of it. So yeah, I think it was better, but I don't, you know, it, was I mean, it more addictive though back then? Like it, it might have tasted more wholesome, or it might have even been more flavorful, but probably today it's almost more addictive because just from my experience, I've had some really good homemade burgers fantastic but you don't just start craving that kind of burger as much as you do a fast food one even though you know that the homemade one actually is better for you and it in some ways tastes better you don't just start getting these like chemical reactions in your mind that that call out for you to get that kind again yeah for sure yeah well i mean they unfortunately as far as making money they know what they're doing right but as far as the health side of it it's really astounding how how much extra sugar and, and such is in some of these uh, burgers since uh, that time. And it's probably something where they're just reacting to what consumers want. I mean, obviously, they, they probably wouldn't want more than twice as much sugar, but at the same time, uh, fast food's all about convenience. It's about producing it as quickly as possible. Um, and obviously, with McDonald's having the goal of money in mind, they have changed everywhere. They have restaurants many many thousands all over the country all over the world and so of course they have to have their ingredients stay i guess not fresh but at least not rot for as long as possible so you do what you have to do to the ingredients to make sure that they last long enough and that you can distribute them to all the different locations it gets pretty complicated when you're doing when you're conducting an operation on that big of a scale yeah for sure i mean there's one in every town multiple ones and yeah or and you could look at any fast food place, I guess, and so the logistics of it and getting things to places. And you never. When's the last time you went to a fast food point po- place and they said, "Well, we're out." Exactly. You, you, yeah. It never happens. You you know, I would be stunned if somebody was out of something. Conversely, I mentioned this before, but when we were in Ireland a couple of years ago, we went to the grocery store to buy eggs, and they said, "Well, we're out. You have to come back tomorrow." And we're like, "Well, really?" And um, it's because they get them from the local dairies that they work with and they were sold out for the day they'll have more tomorrow we're not used to that in the u.s <laughs> we 24 7 I, why isn't it there and to most of us in america something like that would be really upsetting even though it's actually in a way it's a, a better thing to have uh, a certain supply that is locally produced and distributed that's actually a good thing but it's not convenient and for us over here Everything has to be as convenient as possible. McDonald's is just reacting to a trend like that. Well, it's interesting, too, because actually uh, you, maybe some listeners have had this experience, too. If you eat some fast food in different countries, it it's different. Oh, yeah. Um, we, we, again, on that same trip, we had we went to a McDonald's, and it was 
we kind of looked at each other and we said, um, this actually tastes pretty good. Like, this is different. <laughs> yeah. This actually tastes kind of like food. I don't want to give the impression we're just going to foreign countries to eat fast food nonstop, <laughs> but you know, sometimes you gotta, you gotta stop somewhere. So anyway, <laughs> we did, but it was actually pretty good. And, uh, I think we, we kind of looked into it a little bit. We were curious and, um, the, I think they had a, an advertisement, there were promotions saying that it was all locally grown, at least the beef was. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I don't know how good or, or, um, how good it was in comparison to other other things, but just the fact that it was sourced closely by seemed like it tasted better to me. Yeah, that, that's probably just a combination of other countries having maybe some higher standards in terms of uh, their taste, the flavor of their meals, and the health value. And also, uh, some nations are a little bit smaller too, so you don't have to necessarily uh, ship everything quite as far from a lot of different locations. Yeah, so if you ever stop at some random mall in Dublin, Ireland... Check out the McDonald's. It was pretty good. I don't remember the name of the place, but <laughs> not that McDonald's here is like totally abhorrent, but yeah. obviously the health value definitely is. Yeah, it definitely is uh, different. Uh, a couple of stories here today, pretty interesting. It's going to tie into what we're going to talk about at the end with Russia and China, but both Russia and China are on the move, doing a lot of things. This has been a story that's been focused on at the Trumpet, and uh, it's here today as well. China's Xi Jinping gets expanded mandate may rule for life. So he's he's uh, wants a little job security. <laughs> Xi Jinping, already China's most powerful leader in more than a generation, received a vastly expanded mandate as lawmakers Sunday abolished presidential term limits that had been in place for more than 35 years and wrote his political philosophy into the country's constitution. Uh, and it's interesting, too, because nations like uh, China and others, they probably look at the U.S. and the disaster over here politically, and they think, well, it doesn't seem so bad. One leader, you know, just keep everything steady. Yeah, we won't have a lot of freedoms, but we won't have to deal with, you know, the um, the circus that has become U.S. politics. Right. Over here, it's just constant bickering and a lot of lies and hatred that's being spouted out there over in China. Uh, I heard that different words are being censored, like even words like uh, emperor or disagree, <laughs> things like that are being scrubbed out of Chinese social media sites because obviously a lot of those different posts would be talking about this, uh, the Chinese leader working it out in the constitution and and uh, with the term limits that he can rule for life. Well, they also outlawed Winnie the Pooh, right? Is that <laughs> Do they use him as a like some sort of a reference for Xi Jinping? I don't know. That's... Wow. I saw that the other day, and I, I didn't investigate it enough, but for some reason, Winnie the Pooh's been banned, I believe. I don't well, know. That's, if, that's <laughs> how it is in some places. You can ban whatever you want to when the government has that much authority. Yeah. So I, I think they were making fun of him somehow through that. They, they said that's <laughs> enough. In one swift vote, the rubber stamp legislature uh, opened up the possibility of Xi being president for life, returning China to the one-man rule system that prevailed during the era of Mao Zedong and the emperors who preceded him. It's interesting they call it the rubber stamp legislature. It's not, what are they going to do? Like, well, I'm going to dig my heels in here. <laughs> I'm not for this. It's like he probably wouldn't uh, last the day if he did that. Right. The legislature just went right along with it. And it's very different, again, from over here, where a lot of the time our Congress resists a lot of things that the president tries to get done, especially if it happens to be unconstitutional. The legislature in this country actually has a big role in slowing those types of uh, moves down. Yeah, it's different over there. 
They say the change is widely seen over in China as the culmination of Xi's efforts since being appointed leader of the party in 2012 to concentrate power in his own hands and defy norms of collective leadership practiced over the past two decades. Xi has appointed himself to head bodies that oversee national security, finance, economic reform, and other major initiatives effectively sidelining the Communist Party's number two figure, Premier Li Keqiang, if I said that correctly. I don't even know who that guy is, so that tells you he's not that preeminent <laughs> over there in China. Uh, but it's, it's always funny when people appoint themselves. I, just, I, like you have to make an announcement, I suppose. And the long-awaited, you know, suspense here. Um, I'm appointing myself to be over national security, finance, <laughs> economic reform, and other major initiatives. Well, well, that would just cause so much uproar today, especially here under President Trump, if he didn't have a cabinet. I mean, it, the media already hates his cabinet, it seems like. But if he were the head of every one of those different governing bodies, they would have just an absolute meltdown. And yet that's exactly what's happening in China. There's no one who's able to say anything. And if they do try to say something, they're either censored or punished for it. Yeah. Very different way those countries work. In addition to scrapping the limitation that presidents can serve only two consecutive terms, the amendments in China also inserted Xi's personal political philosophy into the preamble of the Constitution, (laughs) along with phrasing that emphasizes the party's leadership. It is rare nowadays to see a country with a constitution that emphasizes the constitutional position of any one political party. <laughs> so uh, he got to write in his uh, his uh, preamble, or write a preamble in there, I guess, uh, for the constitution. So what's his philosophy? I'm the boss. <laughs> <laughs> he probably does have a lot of admiration for some of the country's past emperors and wants to make it easier for people who come after him, presumably after he dies to take power for life as well uh, because uh, leaders like that and, and Vladimir Putin view democracy as mainly a nuisance or it's something that holds back the country from moving forward and really in a lot of ways that's exactly what democracy is supposed to do it's supposed to limit the the ability of different laws to move forward because that way you take the time to make sure it's the best thing instead of just one person with a lot of power deciding for himself uh, that we're going to do this. Yeah, I was just looking here real quickly at um, this story about Winnie the Pooh because I was just curious. It's from the New York Times. China censors ban Winnie the Pooh and the letter N after Xi's power grab. Yeah, it says, uh, uh, oh, let's see trying to look down here through it uh <laughs> uh why? i'm more curious about yeah. the letter n yeah actually it's, 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 why is it such a long write-up just tell us why <laughs> it says for a short time even though english letter n was censored according to uh a, a professor over there apparently to preempt social scientists from expressing dissent mathematically n is greater than two with n being the number of mr g's terms in office <laughs> what? I really thought that through. Wow. So they're uh they're trying to get rid of some things there. So you can't have any sort of dissent, I guess. Not even not even in math, huh? No. Get rid of N. <laughs> you can't use the letter N anymore. And then uh, I think Winnie the Pooh it looks like they were I don't know, there was some sort of a joke being made there about it, but <laughs> Take it very seriously. <laughs> what would the, what would all the the satirical writers in the US do? 
What would Saturday Night Live do if all of a sudden you had a dictator here? <laughs> I guess make fun of the other party. Well, I guess there wouldn't be another party. <laughs> right. I mean, they're already doing that. They already just make fun of the right and they, they hold to whatever the left says. But Well, it's it's pretty ironic that while they say that President Trump is some kind of an authoritarian and a tyrant, they're able to make fun of him constantly without any repercussions. If If this truly were a dictatorship, he could put a stop to that right now. <laughs> yeah, it was a couple of weeks ago. I happened to catch a clip of um, that show when they were make, trying to make some sort of a joke about guns and uh, gun control. <laughs> and they, they were for, obviously, gun control and against citizens owning weapons. And it was part of that weekend update thing that they do. And the, it was really strange because the joke didn't hit at all. It didn't land. The audience was kind of like, eh. And even the guy presenting it, it almost seemed like either – Either he just hadn't rehearsed it or he didn't even buy it. Like, it was just so, so poorly done and so clearly political that even they had a hard time pulling it off. I thought, well, you know, I don't know. They they, they know what they're writing for, I'm sure, every week. Like, we've got to make sure to make fun of, you know, these different things. But didn't work in that case. So the, even the audience is like, eh, I don't, I don't think so. It must be really hard to just constantly be pushing an ideology like that that really doesn't jibe with any sort of common sense all these different ideas gun control that's like that's like stopping the very end of the the issue and not getting back to the cause of it and people with any common sense can see that that doesn't even that doesn't even work there's no practical way of uh fixing a problem uh by using gun control yet that's what they're trying to do and and then people in comedy always get into it when that's not their job and so people even if it did make sense, even if their ideas did make sense, people wouldn't want to hear that from a comedian. Well, they're they're high on the sarcasm and low on the the uh, content. Yeah, they don't really have any facts to present. They can make fun of things. I think the actually the ones the comedians that have done better are at least witty enough to make it seem like they know what they're talking about. Now, in most cases, that they're not they're not speaking correctly about the topic, but they give off the air that they are, you know, like a Colbert or somebody like that <laughs> to where he, he's, he's witty enough to make it seem like he's the authority on things. You know, if he's so smart. Why is he on a comedy show? He should be running the world. <laughs> <laughs> he should be. But I guess the reality is that a lot of people actually do. Um, people on the left do take legitimate political advice from some of these shows. Sadly enough, uh, that's what a lot of people said whenever uh, John Stewart left the daily show. They were sad because they liked getting the news from him. <laughs> right? Yeah, a lot of a lot of, when he was very popular, a lot of people did look to him as the like official news of the night, and uh, which must must make the actual anchors furious, you know. <laughs> but then I remember seeing an interview with him not too long after that, and he got called out on a few things, like, "Well, you said this and this," and people have responded in this way, and he said, "Hey, I'm just a comedian." That that's always the get out of trouble card yeah. say whatever you want it can be as inflammatory as you want and then you say well, i'm just kidding around you know well people need to remember that next time they're considering taking him seriously yeah yeah one other story here related to what's happening in china is what's happening in russia i mean this is this is monday right and these same stories come out on the same day and we have a book on russia and china and prophecy we're going to talk about and, and you see these two nations rising together in strength and in power and if people are paying attention to Bible prophecy. This should really be quite alarming uh, because it's exactly what the Bible said would happen. This is from financeyahoo.com. Putin's Russia. 
from basket case to resurgent superpower. Vladimir Putin and his Russia, his Russia, right? It is his Russia, just like Xi Jinping's China now, look more invincible today than at any other time in his 18 years in power. Since Putin last faced an election in 2012, no, who's going to win? <laughs> Russians have invaded Ukraine, annexed Crimea, uh, blanket-bombed Syria, been accused of meddling in the U.S. presidential election, and claimed to have a scary new nuclear arsenal. And that, that's not the half of it. They just poisoned somebody in the U.K., right? Uh, to our, I mean, it seems like that's what happened there anyway. Then They've done that before. Um, boy, there's so many things. It's hard to even keep in keep in mind what he's all done. They they took over. They privatized the oil industry in Russia. Um, boy, what else did they do off the top of my head? B- totally cheated in the Olympics and and won the gold in them anyway. Uh, in in hockey and a few other things. Um, and and then too, there's a story today where some people asked Putin. They said, "Are you worried about America meddling in the uh, election?" He's like, "I don't care." <laughs> that was his exact quote. I don't care. Of course he, he does it because he's going to win. He's also going to meddle in the election, yeah. his own election, <laughs> right. to make sure he wins. So He'll have to get in line behind his meddling. <laughs> well, even even just the fact that he's ruled for, like it says here, 14 years as president, but then four as prime minister, uh, that says a lot in itself because the way that he was able to get back into the presidency was by switching to being a prime minister for four years. And then after those four years were done, he went right back to being the president again and has since done a lot to try to expand the term limits in Russia as well. Uh, so it's just it just shows how easy it is over there to try to manipulate the Constitution or to at least manipulate term limits or to switch between different offices. But even when he was the prime minister, he just basically had a puppet as the president and was still the one really in charge. Yeah, he was. And he's uh, been very effective. And the, the younger people love him over there, at least according to the polls. I don't know that you can trust the polls, but they uh, they love him on some level. It says Putin will overwhelmingly win re-election as president on March 18th again. So why bother holding a vote at all? They say he disdains democracy as messy and dangerous, yet he craves the legitimacy conferred by an election. He needs tangible evidence that Russians need him and his great power vision more than they worry about the freedoms he has muff, muffled. Uh, the endemic corruption he has failed to eradicate, the sanctions he invited by his actions in Crimea and Ukraine. So you have these, this list of all the things he's done, but boy, we really need a strong leader, and so they're happy to have him. Any autocrat wants love, said analyst Andrei Kolinsikov. Uh, from uh, the Carnegie Moscow Center, and Putin gets that love from high support in elections. Expected to win as much as 80% of the vote, Putin will further cement his authority over Russia, a czar-like figure with a democratic veneer. Which that's a great that's a great line. He is a he is it's not even czar-like. He's a he's a czar with a democratic veneer. But and and <laughs> incidentally, kind of unrelated, but I always threw me for a loop over here when the Obama administration was naming czars of things. I'm like, what? Could you be more communist? You're going to name a czar of the economy? <laughs> People seem to be okay with that. I, that was always strange to me. That that stood out to me as well. I was wondering, have we always called those czars? I don't think so because uh, that's not really a word that we would prefer to use in America. Uh, but over there in Russia, that's a lot more common. And, and President, President Putin has done a very good job of uh, using even religion, the Orthodox Church, to try to cement more power. He has tried to wage uh, 
sort of a war for for morality. Uh, he's he's persecuted homosexuals, for example. Uh, so there are a lot of things that he's doing to try to gain public support. Obviously, even just the acts of taking over different areas outside of the realm of Russia right now, it makes his people feel proud that at least they're the conquerors and not the ones being conquered. They can they can look to that and say. I'd much rather be on this side than that side. For sure. He's done a lot. They list some of the things he's done. He's uh, transformed Russia's global image, consolidated power over its politics and economy, and imprisoned opponents. He has offered asylum to Edward Snowden, quieted extremism in the long-resistive Chechnya, uh, hosted phenomenally expensive Olympics with the crying bear. Uh, (laughs) The crying bear was my add-on. I always liked that bear. And won the right to stage this year's World Cup. He's now 65 years old. He's not planning to leave anytime soon, they said. We have a book uh, on the Prince of Rosh, and uh, you have to get it at thetrumpet.com. And, I mean, here here's an article, you know, for, from uh, finance.yahoo. They're just pointing out things that are just common fact that everybody knows. Look at what Putin's done. Look at how Russia has become powerful. And uh, but why? Why is he able to do that? You don't get the answer here. You get that answer in the book on the Prince of Raj. And he's 65 years old. He wants Russia to be the preeminent nation in the world, a superpower again. And he doesn't want to share the stage. How many years is he going to live yet? Like how active do you think he's going to be in these next few years? Well, he's he definitely looks younger and and healthier than uh, a typical 65-year-old does. So it, he, he appears to have a really long time left. He considers, like we've talked about before, he considers the Soviet Union's collapse to be the greatest tragedy of the entire 20th century, if not more than that, without him telling us. So he, he has uh, certainly some global ambi- ambitions. Uh, even just the way he came into power is pretty eye-opening. Uh, there was a book that came out recently that, basically accused him of setting off all these bombs and and, conduct, yep. and being the one behind these terrorist attacks against Russians, and then he blamed it on the Chechnyans and used that as a reason to expand government power. That's really cunning. It just shows he doesn't really have too much value for human life. He just wants to consolidate power and then dominate the world. Yeah, it's uh, amazing how strong he's become and how strong Russia's become. And so what do you have when you look at these two stories? You have Russia gaining in power with what one strong leader at the top that's not leaving what do you have in china growing in in amazing power one strong leader as of yesterday officially in for life those are things to think about you have russia and china there on the world scene and uh you know other nations have to be paying attention to that you'd think i don't know about the u.s we seem pretty distracted but europe europe's definitely got to be looking over there at vladimir putin you know, and and the fact that he went into Ukraine, and I mean, how how far is he going to go? How much territory does he want to take? Or, I guess it was the unidentified uh, soldiers from some <laughs> foreign land with neutral <laughs> uniforms coming in. But uh, of course, everyone knew it was him. And uh, you know, where is he going to stop? Who's going to stop him? And then, of course, when you have Russia and China working together in some some ways, and you start throwing in a few other Asian nations, who's going to stand against that power block? Well, that's a great question and it and it doesn't the person who's going to stop them or try to stop them isn't even in power yet there's no one in the world in charge right now who is willing to get into that kind of uh, confrontation you see russia and china because of the their ability to get one leader in power and keep him in power 
they're basically sprinting in one direction. You could argue about whether that's the right direction, but America, we swing back and forth uh, like a pendulum. You could you could say that certainly if one side were always in charge, that we might be going in the right direction, but still, we don't want that over here because that would mean a government that would continually expand its power. Americans want to keep freedom. A lot of other peoples are content with giving some of that freedom up as long as they have prestige internationally. They have a feeling of safety and just the fact of knowing that their nation has a lot of power, that appeals a lot, especially to the Russians. The Chinese appear like they just have to get used to it still. Yeah, if you look at the world stage, I mean, really, the nations that are taken off like a rocket are these nations with one authoritarian leader at the top. Europe's struggling because they don't really have a leader right now. They have Angela Merkel, but she's on her way out. Everybody knows at some point here, and they they need a leader. They need to be unified. Who's in the EU? Who's not? How do you get along? They need a strong leader for sure. You know, the U.S. is having a little bit of success now, a resurgence, uh, but even that is because of uh, a strong leader, mm-hmm. even though he's only in for, you know, a few terms maybe. Um, but he's been a strong leader, and he's been uh, – uh, as we said on Friday, just he just has a golden touch at least for a time because he just <laughs> everything they try to do to him boomerangs, <laughs> and, and they get caught in their own lies. You know the media gets caught in their own scandals, and the his his uh his opponents get caught in their own lies. It's really hard to point the finger at somebody when you're so deep in it yourself that it's like <laughs> well the pot calling the kettle black, right? So yeah. so we do have a resurgence resurgence in the U.S. for a little bit here, but if you look globally. And you look to the future, you, you see nations rise and they have that strong leader. Uh, and Russia and China right now both do. Europe's kind of in the mix, but uh, they don't need to have that strong leader yet. And Bible prophecy indicates that they're going to get one. And then Europe's going to take off too. Yeah, the thing with America and Europe is that when we do actually have strong leaders in power, it's difficult to sustain that. It's always precarious because like this year, uh, there's going to be a, a lot more midterm elections. So President Trump could have a lot more opposition in Congress, depending on how those elections go. Uh, Obviously, the media outcry against him is constant and fierce. Even in Europe, there have been some strong men taking over different nations, but their state media has roundly condemned all of them. And of course, there are a lot of other leaders in Europe that are not strong men. So there's conflict within that continent. It's just difficult whenever you have a more Western democratic or at least a a kind of a republic instead of a communist dictatorship you might have strong leaders for a while but then they could easily just get voted out of office another thing that those nations russia and china don't really have is a whole lot of uh, immigration legal or illegal i'm sure i mean there's a mix to some extent but it's not like it is in the west and so they uh, they have a lot of things going for them that are helping them to become uh, more powerful. Well, wasn't it even Japan uh, Japan recently that refused to take a single one of these uh, migrants? Like they they actually stated dogmatically that they will not take even one. Now you could argue about that all day if you wanted to, but are they are they experiencing a little bit more peace than we are? Possibly all these. Uh, Western nations that are so idealistic yet naive, uh, we keep letting all these people come in that are really shaking up our societies. Case in point, we uh, my wife stopped at a store yesterday, and there was a fair number of employees there, and she went up to make her purchase. And they sometimes they'll ask you who helped you, so because they want to give, uh, I guess, uh, 
it's commission-based sales, you know, so they want to give the person a commission. And she said, oh, boy, um, you know, I don't remember the name. And she was trying to identify who it was, which is always a little dicey. How do you identify somebody? <laughs> and so she was like, well, it was an older lady. And the lady behind the counter said, the white one? She's like, yeah, because there was only one white person wow. there. And a lot of employees, you know. And so, and, and here we are in America <laughs> where uh, it's just a changing demographic, it's, you know, where you could identify the person by saying, oh, it's the white one, which is funny <laughs> because – People will say that, and it's not an uncomfortable thing, but if you were to say that about a different color race, <laughs> then it's a big issue. So it's just it's just the way it is these days. Or we're, we're being slowly strangled to death by political correctness. That's what it really gets down to. And like you said, if you can say the exact same thing about one group and be fine, and then a different group, all of a sudden it's really offensive, uh, just trying to tiptoe around that all the time. Other countries don't have to worry about things like that they don't have to they don't have social justice warriors in other countries campaigning in the streets and setting buildings on fire because the government would kill all those people immediately uh it just this shows you the difference between here and europe where we try to tolerate everything and let everything go uh but at least we're a little bit more free and, and over there where you can't say anything uh and at least there's law and order but at the same time there's a crushing uh, government over your head. Yeah, it's a real shame, too, because the modern nations of Israel, which if you know who those are, you know, United States and Britain and, and uh, Judah, Israel and the Middle East primarily, and other nations, too. But, you know, God wanted them to be an example to the world, to where you could say, look, look at the way we live, look at our system, look at how it's blessed. And then you could go to, like, a Russia and say, hey— take a look at this. This is, you know, a pretty good system. Now, it wouldn't be the crazy democracy we see today, at least not the way it's gone off the rails. But but even even as it was originally intended, there was some benefit in it, as is pointed out on this upcoming Key of David about the Bible and the Constitution. But you could go and say, hey, you know, if you, if you were a sales guy and your job was to pitch America's society to Russia or China and say, don't you think you'd want to try this? I wouldn't want that job today no. because they w- you wouldn't have anything to say. Like you said, there well, yeah, some more personal freedoms, but those are just being corrupted. And none of those leaders, and probably even a lot of the people, they would say, we don't want anything to do with your system. But see, we were supposed to be a positive example, and it's actually turned to where now we're a negative example. Well, yeah, if we did look back to the beginning of the country, that would have been something that we could have shown to Russia or any of these other nations, because the people were largely a moral and religious people that could actually be governed by a loosely defined constitutional republic. Uh, but now it's it's to the point that we don't have a strong enough government to keep lawlessness in check. If so many people are going to be lawless and disrespect the country that they live in, openly defy all of the standards that have been in place in this country for a couple of hundred years, uh, it just gets out of control pretty quickly. And that's what we see now. Constant chaos, law enforcement too afraid to confront criminals so criminals just run rampant you don't have that in other nations because their government will stop that immediately it's like we have all these freedoms today we can do whatever we want to on any given day but at the same time we're almost just enslaved to sin oh yeah for sure you were talking about not showing proper respect to like the the institutions and the uh, really the law of the land and it, it reminds me of this one uh uh well he's on tv's uh uh 
political commentator. I won't say who it is, but uh, he, he got in the headlines recently because President Trump attacked him in a speech and called him a pretty nasty name. And uh, and I I guess the response from this uh, commentator was, you know, like, how how can uh, uh, I tell my children to respect the office, you know, when he'll use this type of language? But this, this particular journalist, he, he does nothing but attack the office. That's his job. Every day he attacks it. And so I was just thinking about, even we were talking earlier about how uh, it's so hard for the, the media and others to attack the president because they're in the mix more than he is, whether it be a scandal or whether it be just, you know, trying to take the moral high ground. So here you have this guy crying basically about how he called him a name. <laughs> well, your whole job the last how many ever years has been to attack them as the, the journalist. You, you've done it more than anybody. <laughs> and now you don't like it because you got called a name? Well... You know, <laughs> none of it's good, but at the same time, how are you going to take the high ground on that? Well, the, the journalist is asking how can he get his kids to respect the president? Was he was he in any way teaching his kids before that happened to respect the president or even the office of the president? doesn't seem like it uh, because of just the way that these journalists have literally just resorted to filthy personal attacks. They, they call they call the president all kinds of childish names and then they just recoil in terror anytime he says something back. Uh, that's the natural tendency. I mean, especially Mr. Trump, he's a New Yorker. They're pretty blunt and brash people and you have to respect that because they don't get pushed around. I don't know what they're expecting when they say something about him. Uh, most New Yorkers are going to come back at you if you do that. <laughs> it's just really a fascinating time. Uh, we want to just talk here at the end briefly about this uh, book that's just great. You really need to get it. Uh, we're just going to give a little preview here. But it relates to Russia and China because of all the stories we see coming out about them. Russia and China in prophecy. So the, America's status as the world's lone superpower is rapidly fading. Other nations and groups of nations are angling to fill the void. And keep in mind, now, there, this is an updated version, so there's new information in this from from the original version. But I think the original was written back in the 90s. So keep in mind, this isn't Johnny-come-lately here. I mean, this was before you saw all these things happening. Remember Russia in the 90s. Remember how they were. They, they, their economy was tanked. They were having all kinds of problems. And China was, was, you know, slow and steady, but they weren't what they are today. Other nations and groups of nations are angling to fill this void. It says, rising in the east is an emerging power block of tremendous potential in manpower, economic heft, and military might. Its growing presence is intensifying global competition for resources and for geopolitical influence. Where will this trend end? You can know. Biblical prophecy provides a remarkable penetrating preview of Asia's future. And so it has six chapters here going through these different places in uh, that Asian power block, specifically Russia and China, is the two biggest players. And you go through here and you just look at the the chapters and you look at the what they're talking about. And this is written. This is before Xi Jinping becomes leader for life. Putin was on the scene, but of course, uh, originally when it was written, uh, he wasn't what he is today. And so, um, it's a great book to look at and put all these you know news stories, even from today, into context and understand where it's all leading. Yeah, it has changed in a huge way um, from when this booklet was originally written, like you said, probably in the 90s. It has been a really long time, and uh, it just shows that there is a way to know what's going to happen based on what the Bible says. You don't have to look at which leader is in place or anything like that. You can just look at the Bible, believe what it says, and like this booklet points out, 
just just in terms of their manpower and their economic heft, things like that, you could tell for quite a long time, and you could match that up with what the Bible says, that these nations were pretty much destined to become a huge power. Yeah, when you look at specific prophecies about a 200 million man army, you have to start looking at, and they're from the east. Narrows it down quite a lot. <laughs> so you got, you know the direction, you know, looking at Jerusalem as your center point, and, uh, and you start counting people. It's not that hard to figure out where they're coming from exactly. And it talks very specifically about some of these nations, including Russia, and says that Putin is called, the Soviet Union's collapse, the greatest geopolitical catastrophe of the 20th century. And he has dedicated himself to reversing that uh, catastrophe and restoring Russia to what he sees as its rightful position as a formidable world power. Just remember that and then re- read this headline again that we talked about uh, earlier today. This is the headline from today. Putin's Russia from basket case to resurgent superpower. Those two things square up? Absolutely they do. Well, it's been his goal for the entire time he's been in office and even while he was a KJ, KGB agent before that. Uh, and he's just slowly been accumulating the power and making the moves that he needs to to try to restore Russia to dominance. We have to remember that when when the Soviet Union collapsed, uh, they were in quite a lot of trouble. And even even while Putin has been in power, they have suffered economically quite quite a lot. And yet they continue their slow march toward the top of the world rankings. Uh, that's because he has this unstoppable goal. That's what he wants, no matter what stands in his way. Yeah, and for people that let's say were, uh, you know, understood that Russia would be a major player in events at this time, and understood that, you know, when, when Mr. Armstrong taught about that, if you, you know, you saw them collapse in the late '80s uh, into the '90s, you know, a person could sit there and say, "Oh, come on, now. I thought they were going to be this superpower." But out of that collapse rises Vladimir Putin. You know, he gets a lot of money through uh, questionable dealings, to say the least. And uh, you have this whole new power base rise up out of those ruins, and very quickly. And so it's just an interesting point when you look at Bible prophecy. You know, a lot of times all the exact details aren't known, but you know the direction of things. And so you can see something happen and think, well, wait a second. I thought Russia was going to be this big power. Well, just stay tuned. And here they are. Well, in a way, today they're more dangerous than they were as the Soviet Union because— at least back then, Europe and America were on extremely high alert about uh, the Soviet Union and about their different satellite states and about their influences outside of their borders. And the goal was to collapse that state, and they they eventually got that done. Uh, now they might be afraid of Vladimir Putin, but they don't really they don't really consider him as an enemy or an arch rival. It's just someone that they want to make sure that they can coexist with. Mainly, they're not trying to cl- cause Russia to collapse now, so he can really benefit a lot from certain nations not considering him to be as high of a threat as the USSR was. Right. It talks a lot about China as well, just um, gives us some statistics on how they're growing, how they're developing. They need these resources, they have all these people. Uh, obviously, they own a lot of U.S. debt. And now you have this leader, Xi Jinping, in there as of yesterday that will not leave office, uh, to our knowledge, unless something happens there dramatically. But, uh, you know, in September 2013, when he was newly appointed president, he unveiled this plan for the One Belt, One Road. It was a land and sea version of the Silk Road trading route. Well, even then, why was he thinking about this? 
probably because he was thinking, I'm never going to leave, at least, you know, while I physically am alive. So he, he had these huge, huge initiatives right off the bat. And here he is now, as of yesterday, officially just going to stick in there and he's going to see this one belt, one road plan develop. And he's not a young guy either, right? So you got him, you have Vladimir Putin. They know they have a limited amount of time. They want to see their nations rise. So you can expect them to be even more aggressive than they have been. And who's going to stop them now? <laughs> well, where's the outrage at China's One Belt, One Road, where they're essentially colonizing Africa? <laughs> Everyone got so upset about white people colonizing Africa. And apparently he's able to do that all he wants to, basically just hoard resources which china needs they have well over a billion people and i think it's a hundred different cities that have at least one million people living in them wow. which is just astounding because i think we have fewer than uh 20 in america so just just think about the the sheer mass of their population to the point where if any one of them if any family has more than a child they abort any child that comes after that they need a lot of resources i can see the uh the uh Next movie, the sequel for next summer, Black uh, Black Panther versus the Dragon. <laughs> That's great. One belt, one road. Set it up. One fight, one <laughs> battle for domination of uh, Wakanda. China wins. <laughs> Spoiler they will alert. Win. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Make sure you get that book. It's just great. Russia and China and prophecy, and it ties into this really, really important headlines happening uh, even as we speak. That's all the time we have for today on Trumpet Radio Live. Make sure you listen for the Key of David program. The Trumpet Daily Radio Show. Those are coming your way. For Grant Turgeon and myself, Dwight Falk, have a great Monday, and we'll talk to you tomorrow. You're listening to Trumpet Radio, 101.3 KPCG.